This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Business storytellers, it's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks for joining us. Episode 266. We're moving right along here. It's been so much fun this last year. If you didn't see uh, the metrics that Spotify published about the podcast, just unbelievable to see uh, 70 hours of podcast interviews published. I don't know if that's uh, sounds kind of low to me, but that's still a lot of time. I've been spending on the phone, so to speak, talking to experts. And thanks everyone for listening. Today's guest is actually is Christopher Penn, co-founder and chief data scientist at trustinsights.ai. You can check out that website at that URL, trustinsights.ai. Of course, that'll be in the show notes as well. Uh, Christopher uh, and I met, I don't know, a few years ago when, uh, remember those days before 2020, when we still <laughs> traveled. <laughs> there he is. Hey, Christopher, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm I'm not in a hospital or morgue and neither is anyone in my immediate family. So I'm, I'm doing better than most. Yeah, I, same here, though it has been interesting to never leave the house, um, like ever. You know, to, <laughs> I, my, my car gets three, uh, one gal, uh, three weeks to the gallon, something like that. Um, so, yeah, we met, I don't know, cont- I mean, we've been connected for a long time, but we, we, we met, I think, the first time in person content tech summit, I think, in San Diego. Um, and this, certainly that was a fun trip from my end. The weather is always great. Lots of good content that they're sharing out there. Um, and I actually did a workshop, which that's a long time to be talking to people about picking their tech stack. But let's talk about data-driven marketing, machine learning, those kind of related topics. I know people are always interested in in finding out what's new, what can they try, what can they use, what can they disregard. Um, So let's jump in. What are you currently seeing when it comes to um, data-driven marketing? And, you know, maybe we we can expand that into machine learning as well. Yeah, you know, the big thing that we keep seeing all over the place is that uh, people don't have a shortage of data. What they have a desperate shortage of is doing something with it. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love to say to, to folks, and I, I think I said this on stage at Social Media Marketing World this year, again, it was, the, it was just before uh, everything locked down, uh, was that data without decisions is just distraction, right? You can collect all the data you want. It's, I, I certainly like having data. Um, I'd prefer to have data than not. But if you don't, do anything with the data, then it doesn't do you any good, right? It's like having ingredients, but you never cook, right? Uh, you're, you're, there's, <laughs> there's, there's no point to it. So for a lot of marketers, they're in that position where they really, they've got the data and they're not doing anything with it, they're not turning it into you know, insights or actions or, or stop doing things that aren't working. And it's costing people a lot of money. And I mean, why is that happening though? I mean, it's, it's funny you say that. And I, I, I kind of, in my mind, I'm thinking this is very similar to the whole content discussion. When people say they don't have enough content, I'm like, you got all kinds of content. <laughs> You're just not using it in the best possible way. Uh, so, but how do we get people to realize that they got all kinds of stuff already 
uh, but but you have to use it in a more strategic way. You actually have to use it to make decisions. Uh, and then how do you build on that? You know, it, that comes down to three pillars. And these these pillars are not new. Anyone who's spent any time in consulting has heard them. They come from H.J. Levitt's Diamond Framework in 1964. And the three pillars are <laughs> um, people, process, and technology, right? And you need all three in balance, like three legs of a stool in order for there to be stability and to get some benefit out of that. And where the problem exists now is that we've got technology, but people's first instinct when it comes to you know, any kind of data-driven uh, uh, marketing or processes is, hey, let's throw more technology at it. Well, again, that, you know, in, in the analogy of the kitchen, that's like buying more appliances. If you don't know how to cook, buying more appliances doesn't help you, right? <laughs> it's just adding more clutter right. to the counter. Um, it really is a people problem in terms of the people you have working for you and their knowledge and their skills and their experience. Uh, and it's a process problem uh, where you have not thought through how are we going to use this data? What is this data used for? Who gets it? Who needs to see it? Um, what decisions will people make from it? And my co-founder and uh, partner and CEO, Katie Robert, is on me all the time saying, okay, so what? You, you made this thing. You have this data. You have this insight. So what? What are we going to do with it? And that's a mindset that is glaringly absent from a lot of marketers, even though they're very smart people. Um, it's, it's that constantly questioning mindset of, well, so what? What are we going to do with this data? Uh, what decisions do we need to make from it? And starting the process up front with that question of, well, what, are we, what decision are we trying to make? Are we trying to stop doing something? Are we trying to figure out what to do more of? What are those decisions? That's what will lend us the, uh, the, the mindset we need in order to make use of the technology. And to no one's surprise, that technology-driven mindset has been fostered by a lot of the, you know, the tech companies and the tools and software and SaaS applications and stuff, because that's how these companies make their money. They sell stuff to people. Um, mm. But that doesn't fix the problem. Now, I think it's very interesting. We've just seen very two large acquisitions in the marketing technology space that indicate that maybe there is a little more uh, seriousness being paid attention to. Even on the vendor side, uh, we saw Adobe acquire uh, Workfront, uh, and then we saw mm -hmm. Salesforce acquire Slack. Both of these are not data products, right? Both of these really are process products that are used to help marketers fix their processes uh, and to a lesser degree, their people. Do you need help with digital marketing for your small to medium-sized business? Reach out now and drop us a message at ctrap at gmail.com. Interesting about the 1964 comment. I will, I will keep using that and remind people, it's not just about the future. This stuff has been around <laughs> a long time. Get off my back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Telling me it's only about the future. But these other things too, when you said, you know, Slack is a process tool. And what's interesting is I've been, I've worked with teams and companies where let's just say traditional salespeople were really fighting, fighting against using Salesforce. And what they always would say is, oh, doesn't fit in the process. doesn't work. doesn't, you know, like that's not how we do it. Um, so I don't know if that's going to help that problem to have Slack necessarily, but um, 
certainly I see that point as valid. You have to think about the process. You have to think about um, the people. Do you think, and I don't know what your answer is. We didn't uh, rehearse this ahead of time, but do you think sometimes when people, when, when companies go, we only care about the sale. Is part of that because they really don't know what else to do with any of the data? I mean, is that, you know, I mean, I want the sale too. Don't get me wrong. Every time somebody says, you know, I don't, whatever. Like, I, you know, I sell my book. I sell all kinds of things. Um, but not every content engagement, not every uh, every brand building uh, um, activity is about an immediate sale, right? Uh, I mean, is that why that's happening? Or why do you think we hear that all the time? It's about the sale. It's about the sale. Like, everything is about the sale. I get it. But um, not every activity leads to a direct sale today. That's right. Not every activity does, but every activity leads to the sale eventually if it's a valuable activity. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the reason you hear that so much is because people don't have the statistical or mathematical understanding, the background to, to be able to quantify everything else that happens. You know, the, what's the, the value of the brand? What's the value of a, a given engagement? Uh, and that's where you know modern attribution modeling comes into play is uh, with really good technology and the people and the processes to support it. Uh, you can get a look at what happens uh, that leads to the sale and what things don't. The analogy that we use when we're talking about attribution modeling is it's like a basketball game, right? There are some players on the court who are just shooters, right? You know, Steph Curry from the Gold State Wizard, just, you know, you give him the basketball and he's going to, he's more than likely going to be able to get it into the net, right? But there are other players who have a really strong passing game. There are other players that have a really strong defense game. And those players are not sinking baskets, right? They're not scoring points. If you focus just on the sale, that tends to create sort of a last touch attribution mindset. Like you only do the things that cause the sale. Well, yeah, if, you, if I take out all the people who have a good passing game from the basketball game, then Steph Curry never gets the ball, and, and, and as a result, looks terrible. But it's that lack of understanding of how to do attribution, and, and in many cases, not having the right tools to do it, that leads to that mindset. And you know, people, people, will, people will always measure with the numbers that they have. So if you don't give them better numbers, they will go with what they've got. And what's interesting about the right tools too is, I, I mean, my philosophy kind of has been there's there's so many, there's just so many tools out there. And when Scott Brinker was on the show, of course, he talked about you know how his map has exploded from like 150 to 7,000. I mean, unbelievable, right? Um, and then of course, every tool has some problems that you don't like, and then you might go out and you buy a different tool that has fixes those three problems but has three other problems, right? So you, it just continues down that path, it seems. There's always some kind of problem. What kind of tools would you recommend that people use to, to uh, look at their data differently and in a better way? You know, that's a tough question to answer because like for a lot of the attribution modeling that we do, um, I had to build my own. Uh, there wasn't a piece of software out there that did what I wanted it to do in a way that was... Uh, that gave me the results I wanted. And I had to do my own research and, and write my own software to, to have that. Um, I still have not seen anyone else doing it in that similar approach, except inside of academia. And I think there's two reasons for it. One is it requires a lot of background uh, knowledge. And two, it is computationally very expensive. One of the pitfalls of the, the SaaS era that we live in now 
is that because everything's in a browser, we expect everything to be instantaneous. And there are a whole bunch of things that mathematically take time to compute. And it's a terrible user experience. You know, if I run this attribution model, I'm, you know, I've got one uh, running right now on my laptop. It's going to take, this particular one's going to take uh, two and a half hours to finish its run. Nobody wants to log into like, you know, Google Analytics, you know, click on attribution and it says, hey, come back in two and a half hours. Right? That's not, that's not a very good experience. Um, and so the big providers of software will do models that are computationally efficient, but not necessarily insightful. And there's that, that's kind of a problem. I'm currently accepting requests for future virtual and on-site keynotes and workshops. In 2020 alone, I've spoken in Singapore and Istanbul, virtually of course, thanks COVID. I can't wait to get back on the road. And if we still can't get on the road in 2021, I would be happy to speak at your event virtually. Please reach out to me, ctrap at gmail.com or authenticstorytelling.net. Well, I think the, the whole time thing is something I've noticed as well. Um, I've actually had somebody ask me the other day, here's our marketing problem. How would you fix it? And, and that's a big question, right? That is not like a two minute answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we only had about five minutes, right? <laughs> to, to answer that question. And, and I think they got kind of annoyed that it took me five minutes to even get started to talk about it. Uh, but I think that is a problem I'm seeing. And I mean, even when you think about Google Analytics, I mean, Google Analytics is not live, right? It's up to 24 hours delayed. They don't tell you that all the time. So you can look at it and you can think, oh, yeah, I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. But even that's not um, 100% live. But how do we get people to stop um, being in that mindset that they want everything now? And I'm the first to admit um, I'm there too, to an extent, right? We we publish this podcast here on a Tuesday and I don't know, 1, 11 a.m. in the morning, central time. And at eight o'clock, I open it up and I say, hey, it has, it, has it gone viral? Has it taken <laughs> off? How come it has fewer listeners than, uh, than yesterday's episode, right? Uh, did I have the wrong headline? I mean, I do the same thing and I, it's very tempting to do because everything is at my fingertips today. It is. So uh, go, going back real quick, Google Analytics is real time now. It has been real time for a little while. Um, okay. And the new version, Google Analytics 4, is even more real time. You can actually get your raw data in real time if you have set it up correctly, which is a bit of a beast. Um, but that mindset of, I want it now. I mean, we could go off on a whole tangent about just sort of that mindset and, and the corrosive effects it's had on society in general. Um, but restricted to the marketing sphere, it really comes down to, do you want to make a fast decision or do you want to make a right decision? What's you know, the old adage, you know, fast, cheap, good, choose two. Um, most of the time people are going to want um, uh, cheap. <laughs> so your choices then are, are fast and good. Uh, and, and it is in some cases a binary choice. Um, you can get pretty good. You can get pretty fast. But if you want really fast, it's going to come at the expense of accuracy. And for a lot of the data that marketers are working with, that's kind of unavoidable. So the antidote to that, and again, this is something that you know my partner says more than I do, is the antidote is planning, making sure that you've planned ahead and that you have um, thought through things through as best as possible so that you're not, you don't have to sacrifice quality because you've given yourself enough time. 
I'm in the middle of a campaign right now with a client and they didn't give themselves enough time. And so everyone's scrambling to try and make this thing work. And it's coming at the cost of lower accuracy of less good results. And, you know, we've all been very clear uh, from the beginning. Yes, this is rushed. This is this this is a three month campaign you're trying to do in, in, in three weeks. And it's just not going to go as well as if you would let it you know, get started early on, planned ahead um, and had all of your pieces in place in advance. It's just the I think the only way that changes, hopefully, is that people learn from experience. They get burned pretty badly and they go, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. That sucked last time. <laughs> well, the one thing I was kind of chuckling internally when you said they didn't give themselves enough time. And of course, I, I, that does happen. But the reason I was chuckling a little bit is because when Seth Godin was on the show, you know, he talked about, you got to ship, <laughs> ship, ship your creative work, you know, don't, don't get stuck in approval. Hell, that's my term, not his necessarily. But I don't think there's ever enough time for anything. It, you know, like, how long does it take me to do something? How long does it take me to do the the, the, the blog post? Well, how much time do I mm-hmm. have? <laughs> yeah, was you know it? that's I mean? the Peter principle, so, right? Work expands uh, to fill the time you give it. That's ex- it's exactly right. So, um, and I've noticed that I think the first time when I was writing a lot on airplanes, you know, especially that first 30 minutes when you're sitting in your seat and you're waiting for the door to close, how much can I get shipped mm-hmm. <laughs> before they close the door and take my, take my laptop? Of course, today I'm just in my basement in Marion, Iowa. So um, that's kind of the world we live in today. Um, how... How does how do some of these uh, let's I don't know if we want to even call them futuristic anymore or not, but some of those newer technologies like machine learning, those kind of things, how do they fit into the future? How can they help us as marketers um, get better data and, and not just get it, but also analyze? You know, it, it comes down to the, those same three factors, you know, fast, cheap and good uh, machines. When you're using machine learning technology properly either building it yourself or, or acquiring it through vendors. And most marketers are going to acquire it through vendors because um, very few are going to sit down and learn how to program in you know, Python or whatever. Um, machines can develop much better results, um, much more accurate results. The example of attribution modeling, when you use something like, you know, Shapley game theory, which is not my personal favorite, um, or Markov chain modeling, um, you are using mathematical algorithms that, <laughs> frankly, you, and you could do it as a human, but it would take you forever and a day um, to, to get done the same thing that a machine could do in a few minutes to understand what is each channel's contribution to the outcome? Um, how much weight should a channel be given even if it never directly converts, but it's assisting conversions all the time, like that basketball player with a great passing game, you don't want them off the court because if you do, your whole team's going to fall apart. So that your machine learning and AI help with that. Obviously, it helps with the faster part. Again, trying to do any of this by hand would be you know just horrifying. Um, and there's also the the repetition part, the, the I guess the cheaper part in that. Humans are expensive. Humans cost a lot of money. We have to pay salaries and healthcare and all this stuff. And if you can get tasks, individual tasks, not jobs, but just tasks offloaded to machines, you can be that much more efficient. Um, I'll give you an example. I uh, 
I don't particularly enjoy curating content for social media, right? You know, the process of reading through articles and deciding which ones to share and put, you know, loading them up to my, my Twitter account and stuff like that. And to do it well, used to take two or three hours a week, right? And I used to work in an agency, a PR agency. And there were people, you know, junior people who were still billed out at like a hundred bucks an hour who were just copy and pasting eight hours a day, you know, putting together social content for clients. And it was like appalling to see this. Um, so a couple of years ago, I wrote my own software that said, okay, I want you to read these 1500 blogs all in the marketing space, uh, download all the data from those blogs, look through them using natural language processing and identify the ones that are topically most relevant to the things I care about, like data and analytics and stuff, score them. And then just give me a feed of like the top 30. And then, you know, the machine would spit this stuff out. And then for the top 30, I would, I've already got a, a pre-vetted list. Okay, I'm going to pick 25 of these 30, and that's going to go in my weekly newsletter. And it's going to go in my Facebook feed and my LinkedIn feed and stuff. And I went from spending two to three hours a week of, co- of curating content to spending 10 to 15 minutes a week. Um, it's not a high-value activity, right, um, to sort through all the crap to find the gold. It, I would rather spend that two to three hours reading the gold in depth knowing that the machines have pre-vetted it just to screen out all the garbage. That's where I think there's a, a tremendous amount of efficiency to be found for marketing. Uh, it is, it, it's challenging because again, this is software I had to write myself. It didn't exist. And there are companies now that do this sort of thing um, at, at reassuringly expensive costs. But uh, that process freed up hours of time that can be used much more productively, um, you know, earn more money, uh, bill out for higher value work, et cetera. And what's interesting about that, that uh, comment as well, um, I think it was Scott Abel who, who was on the show and said, um, you are creating content for machines, mm-hmm. get it in your head. <laughs> because what do people do, right? They go, uh, they go to Google. I mean, we just saw, I, I saw the numbers that Andy Cristadino shared on Twitter Google has by far the most web traffic of any website mm-hmm. in the United States, right? Because everybody goes there. So you have to write for machines to an extent, right? Don't lose your voice necessarily. Don't, you know, uh, do things that are not uh, good for the reader. But at the end of the day, if the machines can not find your content or don't, you know, uh, recommend it when it's meaningful, uh, it's harder and harder to get found. Um, so the one thing the one question that came that's been bubbling up in my head is about who is going to learn all this stuff who's going to run it and and the story that comes to my mind i was actually at a conference i think it was in san diego as well um omni channel I, I think not omni channel i don't know omni something and i said to the group i said who on your team is the data analyst and everybody said um Maybe this person, maybe that person, but nobody said mm-hmm. the data analyst, right? And I said, well, let me let me let me rephrase my question. Who on your team is the writer? And everybody goes, well, the writer. And I said, so why would you think the office manager can be your data analyst? Who? But the problem I think we're seeing is right. There's all these things you have to learn. There's all these things we have to do. Uh, now we have marketing strategy, we have marketing ops, which wasn't a thing, you know, eight years ago or 10 years ago or whatever, uh, whatever the right uh, time ago is. But but who is going to learn? Who is to, who's going to run some of these data things that we're talking about here on a team? How do you we know, integrate it? 
there's a couple of different ways to look at it, but the the way that I think makes the most sense is there is, you know, we, we've heard the expression like a T-shaped uh, professional for years. And there's, there's a lot of value to that, that yeah. uh, perspective. Everybody should have some baseline skills. Everyone should be able to pop open Excel and do some basic analysis, right? You should be able to do a, a simple Pearson regression in Excel. Excel does that. Um, it's a, you know, frankly, a very powerful tool that's drastically underrated. Um, everybody should be able to look at a chart and interpret it. Uh, everyone should be able to create a chart that is worth reading. Um, everyone should be able to understand what a KPI is and why it matters. By the way, the definition for your audience that we use all the time, a KPI is a number for which you will get a bonus for. You're not going to get a bonus for it. It's not a KPI. Um, and suddenly you look at all the numbers you have and you're like, huh, what am I actually going to get a bonus for this year? None of these numbers. I don't. <laughs> um, so keep that in mind. And then, yes, you're going to have that one person who it, it's like cooking. I, I keep using cooking analogies because it's something everybody does. Everybody should know how to like, you know, make toast, boil water and these things, things like that. And then there's going to be a few people like, you know, the Gordon Ramsay's of the world who that's they're, they're going to be, be master chefs. And that's what they do. Um, the same thing's true on your team. Everybody should be able to do a little bit of something with data. And there's going to be that one person, you know, call them a data analyst, a data scientist, whatever the, the term is that you want to use. Uh, their job is going to be to dig deep. Just like you said, there's a writer. The writer writes. Um, everybody can write. Everybody does write. Uh, but then there's that one person who is a wordsmith, um, that, you know, a, 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 you know the, the poet laureate in-house, whatever, who can take other people's words and make them substantially <laughs> better. And there's got to be a data person to do the exact same thing. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's unreasonable to 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 want people to understand some of it and be able to look at the dashboard or you know the, the KPIs, so to speak. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, you can get a bonus for them. Um, very interesting discussion. How um, how do people move forward? And then I guess maybe another way to ask: How do people work with you? Like, what's like? I, I mean, with your company, what, what's the I mean, setup? For us, like? we're a consulting group, so. The analogy, there's two different analogies we use. One is sort of like an analytics personal trainer. Like, you know that you've, uh, when you go to a regular personal trainer, you know it's because you've tried all the things yourself, right? And you just frankly need somebody to do some of the things for you and you need somebody to hold you accountable. And that's, you know, a role we play in a lot of our uh, our, our clients is to say like, yeah, we're going to do the stuff that you can't do a lot of. We're going to help train you some of the things you want to be able to do. And we're going to hold you accountable for the things you say you're going to do. Um, and the second thing that we do, uh, the second way we look at things is as detectives, right? Data detectives is a term that I use a lot because an awful lot of time people have a mystery. Hey, this thing isn't working. This thing isn't tracking. I don't have any data for this. Um, I did this campaign and I can't find any results. And we get called in to solve those mysteries. Like, okay, well, what happened? Why didn't it work? You know, what was it a tracking problem, a governance problem, a technology problem? Um, so many things, so many things that it could have been that we come in and, and fix that stuff. So that's sort of the, the role that we play. And there's, you know, the, there's this whole spectrum, as there is with anything, but in, in data analytics, there's this whole spectrum from do it yourself to done for you. And 
we sit kind of in the middle. Um, you know, there's some the stuff that we'll absolutely just do for you because we know that people don't have the capability, like building a custom attribution model uh, using machine learning. Most people don't have that capability. So we will do that for, for a client. Other things like, you know, training somebody on how do you use, how do you just use Google Analytics better? We'll train people on that because they need to be empowered to be able to start doing some of the data analysis too. We don't know everybody's business. We can't know everybody's business. Um, but we absolutely can teach somebody to th how to think a little bit more sharply about the data around their business. So that's sort of what we do. In terms of generally how people can move forward, it's along those lines of, are you at the minimum level of competency that everybody should have for you know being comfortable with data? Can you do you know the basic analyses? Can you find uh, the mean or the median of a data set? Do you even know the difference between the two uh, and when you should use which one? Those are so, sort of table stakes, the, the, the table minimum, if you will. Uh, and then after that, you know, if you find that you have an aptitude for it, then, yeah, you want to pursue professional development and training um, into data analytics and data science, uh, maybe even into machine learning. You may find that it's something that you love doing. I, I love doing this stuff. Um, there are lots of other people, and it's totally okay, who say, you know what? That's not for me. That's not something that... I get a lot of joy out of uh, in life. I'd rather hire somebody, uh, either a professional, a contractor, or an agency um, to do that for me and still let me make decisions on the, on the insights generated from the process. So it's, it's all a matter of, of preference and comfort and what people are, are, have an aptitude for. And t please tell me what the numbers mean. Don't, mm -hmm. <laughs> don't just give me a spreadsheet of numbers. Um, how um, it's just an interesting discussion, right? How do we how do we tie it all together? How often should you look at the the data? I mean, I'm just so for example, when I was in publishing, uh, what I would do is I would report wins, right? And um, most of the wins throughout the month were digitally focused, and every like once a month it was print focused, right? And people always complain, well, everything is about digital and everything is about digital. And a smart executive one time said, well, the reason that is, is because digital happens every day, 24 seven, we can all be sleeping and there is a home run overnight that nobody even did anything manually on. On print, the thing comes out once a month. Mm -hmm. There's no wins <laughs> until it comes out once a month. So, and then I, I'm also thinking about SEO, right? When you look at SEO results all the time, it can be kind of frustrating unless you have a home run all of a sudden because, you know, it doesn't change every minute of the day. So how often should you look at numbers? How often should you dive in? Or should you just have up a live dashboard? It depends what's, on the numbers. The so again, going back to earlier on KPIs, you know, what's the number you're going to get fired for? If this number goes to zero, you're fired. What is that number? What are those numbers? Um, there's probably like one, maybe two, maybe at most three numbers for which your job is on the line. Um, those absolutely should be in a dashboard and they, those actually should probably be the starting tab of your browser. So every time you open up a new tab, there's the number that you're going to get fired for if it doesn't go well, right? That is something you really want to have your pulse on so that you can see trends and see twists and turns as they happen. From there, uh, it depends on how long the underlying numbers below that change. You know, to your example with the print thing, if the print data only comes out once a month, there's no point in looking 29 days of the month um, at data that doesn't change. 
um, it is on that 30th day and then you know trying right. to make some decisions based on that so it is dependent on that uh, it's dependent on your sales cycle <clears throat> how long does it take in each stage of your marketing operations funnel for somebody to move from stage to stage <clears throat> that you know cut that number in half and that is how frequently you should be looking at that data so if it takes two days for somebody to go from being a member of the audience to being a prospect, then yeah, check out your prospect generation numbers every day because you got a, a lot of volatility. If it takes four years for somebody to go from you know open deal to closed closed one deal, I'm not saying don't check your numbers every two years. That's you know that's a bit too extreme, but you certainly don't need to be looking at it every day. You can get away with once a month, probably even once a quarter if you, if just deals take that long. Like if you're selling Gulfstream airplanes, yeah, it's going to take that long to keep that deal moving forward. Um, <clears throat> so that would be the answers I would suggest is, you know, focus heavily on the numbers that are the most critical to you and then other stuff at the cadence that they occur naturally, mine, you know, divided by two. So give me a couple of examples here. What are some typical numbers you're seeing out there that people get fired for? A real simple one. If like if you're in a digital business, which everyone is, um, yeah, and your website traffic goes to zero, right. you're going out of business, right? If you are the head of uh, e-commerce at Amazon and Amazon's traffic goes to zero, you're going out of business and you're getting fired. Um if you are a publisher and uh, you know your page views on your you know heavily most heavily advertised pages go to zero. You're getting fired because those pages are not generating revenue for the company. Uh, if you are in a B2B company and your uh, form fills on your website for your latest white paper, or all your white papers go to zero, guess what? You've got no leads. You've got no pipeline. You're getting fired. Um, it, these are all you know cases where there's a critical failure in your, op your marketing operations that you would need to remedy uh, sooner rather than later. And those are, those are the pretty obvious examples. If you are, you know, uh, a, a, brick and mortar store the number of people who walk through the front door is a critical number because if that goes to zero you're getting fired and your store is going out of business yeah very interesting very eye-opening um of course we already mentioned uh, trust insights that ai yeah, absolutely uh, yes the it's best the best starting point where people connect with you or where else Fantastic. Christopher Penn, co-founder and chief data scientist. It was my pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time.